Over the past uh, few weeks, we've been going through a sermon series that, that is called The Purpose of the Church. Um, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at kind of the, the overarching, the purpose of the church through the lens of, um, of the five purposes, five purpose statements that our church, Emmanuel, has. And so we started um, with looking at those first two purposes. Uh, we looked at the purpose of worship, that part of why we gather, part of why we are the church is to worship God, as we've just been doing today, right? Praising his name. About even we, we worship God by, we talked about giving, li- giving our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Um, and then the second purpose we talked about is prayer, that part of why we gather as a church is to pray, to, to communicate with God, um, to know him personally in, in, uh, through prayer. And both of those first two purposes are all about our relationship kind of as a, as a community, as a congregation with God, our vertical relationship with him. And then two weeks ago, we went to the third purpose of the church, which is fellowship. And fellowship is all about our relationships with each other, right? So worship and prayer, us and God. Fellowship is about our relationships with one another. And we talked about sort of the, the character of, of what, our, what, what that means to have koinonia, fellowship, sharing with each other, loving each other, forgiving each other, bearing with each other. Now, all three of those first purposes, they happen right here in this building, right? Every Sunday as we gather, Wednesday as we gather, we worship God together. We pray to God together. We have fellowship with one another. Hopefully that doesn't just stay in the building, but it leaks out into our everyday lives during the week too. But our fourth purpose, the purpose we're going to look at today involves not just people who are gathered here. It actually involves people out there. People in the world around us, people who are not gathered here. And this fourth purpose happens not primarily in this building, but actually out in the world, outside of this building. And so our our fourth purpose that we're looking at today is the purpose of evangelism. And as we're going to talk about, we're going to unpack this through the sermon today. Um, But it's basic meaning that evangelism means sharing the good news of Jesus with people outside of the church, people who are in our, our, our community. And so to, to hit on this is that, that part of the purpose of our church is not to exist just for ourselves, but it is to exist for the world, it is to exist for people who are outside of our church, for the community where we, where we live. And so the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today uh, to focus on this fourth purpose is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, which is a part of of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. He wrote to the church in Corinth. And so as we listen to God's word spoken through Paul to that church in Corinth, let us hear God's word to us, our church today here in Pasadena. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. Paul writes, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the amazing truths that we hear in your word in this passage today, Lord, about what you have done to reconcile us to yourself and how you have called us to bring this amazing message to the world. And so speak to us, Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear your word to us today and work in us, Lord, to send us out from here into this purpose that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this, this fourth purpose of evangelism, I want to answer three questions today. First is just what is evangelism? What do we see in this passage that kind of helps us understand what this whole idea of evangelism is? Um, and then sort of how do we do evangelism? How do we actually practically do that in our everyday lives? And then the third question um, is what motivates evangelism? What actually empowers us to do this? So that first question is what is evangelism? Um, you know, back in my, the, my introductory sermon, uh, where I kind of first introduced these five purposes, I mentioned that the word evangelism comes from a Greek word, the Greek word evangelion, um, which means good news. It is the word that is translated gospel in the New Testament. Whenever you see that word gospel, that's, that's the Greek word behind it. And so at its most, most basic meaning, evangelism is sharing good news sharing the good news of Jesus. Now notice that it is sharing news. It's not sharing advice. It's not sharing how you should live your lives or, or what you need to do. No, evangelism is sharing news. It is sharing something that has already been done. And this news is really, really good. It is really good news. And so what is this news that we are sharing? Well, it is the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us and for the world. And in our text today, the Apostle Paul talks about this good news by using the word reconciliation. Um, you see that, that term repeated throughout, throughout that passage that we read. And this term reconciliation, it's a relational term, which means basically kind of taking two different people or, or individuals, parties, and bringing them back together where there has been a break in the relationship. And we talk about this sometimes in, in human relationships, where, where there's been a division, a, a conflict, right? Reconciliation is bringing those two people, those two parties back together, back into relationship with one another. And the Bible declares that there has been a break in our relationship with God. That the relationship between us and God, that, that, that we are born into the situation where, where that relationship has been severed, that relationship has been broken. And the reason that it has been broken is because of sin. 
And sin is, is just the word that the Bible uses to describe all the ways that we turn away from God. Ways that we choose to live our lives the way that we want to. Disobeying God's law, which is how he wants us to live. And, and just in a, as in a human relationship, when, when one party sort of says, I don't, want, I don't really want to have anything to do with you, or I'm not going to listen to you, I'm going to go my own way. It creates division, right? Conflict in there. And that's what's happened between us and God. We have sort of said to God, we want to live our lives the own, our, the, our own way. And so that sin, the, all the times that we do that, it, it separates us from God. But then verse 19 announces this amazing news by saying that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. So God didn't want humanity to remain separated from him because of our sin. He doesn't want that, right? He doesn't want us to be separated. He wants us to be reconciled to each other, to be brought back together into relationship. But in order to do that, something needs to be dealt with. The sin that separates us from each other. And so Paul says that the way that God reconciled us to himself was by not counting men's sins against them, right? If, if, if sin is the thing that separates us, then if God doesn't count our sin against us, then that could bring us back together, right? But how could God do that? How could he, he, he not count our sins against us? Well, the answer to that is wrapped up in two words in that verse, in Christ, in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And so what Jesus Christ did for us is the way that God is able to not count our sins against us anymore. It is the way that we can be reconciled to him. So what did Jesus do to do that? Well, we find that in the very last verse of the text that we read, where Paul writes this in verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. There, Paul is talking about Jesus. Jesus had no sin. He was the perfect human. He was also, the reason for that was because he was also fully God. He was God and man. And Paul says that this one who, had, who knew no sin, who had no sin, he became sin for us. That, what, that, what that phrase means is that, is that Jesus took the sin of the whole world upon himself and he bore the consequences of that sin in our place. What is the consequence of our sin? It's just what we've been talking about. Separation from God, right? Our sin leads to separation. And so Jesus, when he took the sin of the world upon himself, he took that separation that we deserve between us and God. And he took it and he bore it on himself. And so Jesus experienced that separation from the father that is the natural result of our sin. And where did he do that? He did it on the cross. In verse 14, Paul writes, we are convinced that one died for all. That one died for all. That Jesus died for all of humanity, for the whole world. 
that he paid the price of death, separation from God, for all of humanity. He took it all on himself. Why? So that we could be reconciled back to God. So that God could no longer count our sin against us, right? Because Jesus took our sin, there's no more sin for God to count against us. Because Jesus has taken it all. And he's paid for it all in full. And in fact, going back to verse 21, Paul says not only this, but he says that also in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So not only does he not count our sin against us, but he actually credits us with Christ's righteousness and perfection. Isn't that good news? That means that anything that you have done in your life, any of the ways that you have recognized that you have, you've turned away from God, that you've done something, you recognize that this was breaking God's law, all of that, Jesus paid for it in full. You don't have to pay for it anymore. He's paid for it in full in your place. And he says that if you trust in him, you are now declared righteous. You are declared perfect in Jesus. That seems too good to be true, doesn't it? It's incredibly good news. But that is the news that God declares to us today. And here's the thing, though. That news, it needs to be heard. It's news that needs to be shared. Because not everyone knows what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on at the end of verse 19 to say, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. And he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We have been given this message of reconciliation, the message I've just been talking about. And first of all, it is a message that has been given to you and me because we need it. We need this message for ourselves we need to be reconciled to God. But as he gives us this message, then he says, you know what? This message is not just for you. It is for the whole world. It is for the people among you. We've been given this message to share with the world. And the way that Paul talks about that is by saying that we are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador we often hear that language kind of primarily with sort of like the UN, right? Or, or where there's the ambassador from this country who's, who's living in, in our country or, or a U.S. ambassador that's living in some other country. And, and basically the, the heart of what an ambassador is, it's, it's an official representative of one nation who is sent to another nation to act and speak on behalf of their home nation, right? They're representing the nation where they are there. And so when Paul says that we are Christ's ambassadors, he, he means that we are being sent to speak and act on behalf of Christ in this world where there are many who are not a part of Christ's kingdom, right? We're being sent into a place where there are people who are not a part of Christ's kingdom to be as representative there, just as an ambassador is sent to another country. And so in other words, God has given the church, those who have been reconciled to God, the responsibility of delivering this message of reconciliation to the world. And that is why evangelism is one of the central purposes of the church. It is why it is one of the, these five purposes that we affirm here because God says, guess what, guys? You're it. 
you're my way of getting this message to people who need to hear it, of getting it to people who need to know how much I love them, to getting it to people who need to know that I want to reconcile them back to myself as well. And so that brings us to the the second question, which is, so how do we do evangelism? How do we actually practically bring this message to the world, to bring it to people around us? Well, our text gives us two ways of kind of thinking about this. And the first is actually very much wrapped up in just what we've been talking about, this language of being Christ's ambassadors. Because what that kind of indicates is that, that sharing the good news of Jesus is not something that we just sort of do here and there, but it's actually part of who we are. It's part of how we live our lives. Um, we see this in, in a quote from uh, the Christian author Paul Tripp, who, who writes this about being an ambassador. He says, An ambassador isn't limited by 40 hours a week to certain state events or to times of international crisis. An ambassador is always on call, always representing the king or their nation. So it isn't a part-time calling. It's a lifestyle. And so he says that we represent God's purposes to the people he places in our lives. He wants us on call in every conversation and in every interaction. And so when we think about this idea of evangelism, evangelism actually starts with representing Christ in our everyday lives, in the way that we live our lives. If we are truly Christ's ambassadors, then we are representing Christ in everything we do and everything we say, especially when we're with those who are not believers in Christ. And so we need to pay attention to how well we're representing Christ in those moments, in our words, in our actions, and looking for ways to represent him well. In, in one of the scripture readings that, that Jim read for us from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. And then he goes on to say, let your light shine before men, before people, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So what Jesus is saying there is that the way we live our lives, as he talks about there, your, your good deeds, the things that we do in our everyday lives, that, the, that that is a way that we let our light shine. But where is that light coming from? It's coming from Jesus, who is the light of the world. So we are only shining what we've been given in Christ. And so what is that talking about? It talks about representing Jesus, right? We are little lights that are shining Christ's light in the way that we live our day-to-day lives. So that's where evangelism has to start. It has to start with just how we're living, how we are experiencing going through life in our everyday lives. But then Paul goes on to, to, to say that there's more to it than that, right? It's not just just kind of the way that we live, but he goes on to describe that another part of how we do evangelism is that we implore people to be reconciled to God. We see that in verse 20, where he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, Paul was writing this letter to a church, right? To to, to a, a, a group of believers who were in this city of Corinth, which means that most of the people who were hearing this letter read 
would have been people who would have identified themselves as having been reconciled to God already. But, but as Paul's writing this letter, it's like he can't help himself. So that he talks, as he's talking about God making his appeal through us, it's like Paul then says, well, I gotta make that appeal while I'm writing, right? So he just says, so guess what, guys? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you are not yet reconciled to God, be reconciled. He invites them, even, even those who are maybe hearing this letter for the first time in Corinth, that right after he shares the message of reconciliation, he says, I've got to make an appeal to those who have heard it, that they would receive what he's been talking about, to be reconciled to God. And so as we are living our lives, representing Christ, and as we have opportunities to speak about the good news of what Jesus has done, we are then also called to invite those people to actually receive the reconciliation that Jesus is offering, to implore them to be reconciled to God. Now, there are many different ways to do that. And I'm guessing that for many of us, most of us, we would not feel very comfortable walking up to someone, whether that's a stranger on the street or our next door neighbor, and just sort of saying, be reconciled to God, right? <laughs> Um, And that is not the most effective way to share that message with someone or to implore them, right? So so how do we actually do that? Well, our other scripture reading that that Jim read from Acts chapter 8, I think, gives us a great example of this. So as we look in Acts 8, 26 to 40, this man, Philip, he shares the good news of Jesus with this Ethiopian man, this Ethiopian eunuch. And we get a great example there of what evangelism in action looks like, of, of how we are to do evangelism, how we're to get to that place of maybe imploring someone to be reconciled to God. Where does Philip start? He starts by listening. And so the first thing that we do as we're thinking about how do we do evangelism is we have to listen to the other person. The Holy Spirit tells Philip to, to go to that chariot where this Ethiopian man was. And when he runs up to the chariot, it says that he heard the man reading from Isaiah, the prophet. So the first thing that Philip does as he goes, approaches this man is, is he listens. He listens to what's happening in this man's life. He listens to what, what he's reading, right? To, to what's going on in, in his life. And so in order to share the good news of, of Jesus with people in our lives, we need to listen first, to, to, to understand where a person is coming from. And maybe they have never, maybe they associate Jesus or Christianity with, with actually really bad news. And they don't understand, they, they've had really bad examples that they've seen of, of, of Christian people who haven't been representing Christ real well. Right? And so we need to listen to hear where people are coming from before we just kind of speak. And then as we listen to them, the next thing that Philip does is he asks a question. And so that's the next thing we have to, that, we, that we do is we listen to people. We need to ask questions. When Philip hears this man reading from Isaiah, he asks him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Right? So, so Philip doesn't just kind of launch into a gospel presentation with this guy. He wants to hear where this man is coming from. He wants to hear what he understands and what he doesn't understand. And so, so that he can know how to respond to him. So he can know how to, to speak that good news into this man's life. And after he asks a question, guess what he does then? He listens some more. 
He listens to the man's response. As we're called to bring this good news to people around us, we need to listen. We need to ask questions to help understand where people are coming from and listen to those answers of where they're coming from, those questions. And so as, as, as Philip listens, this Ethiopian eunuch, then he ends up sharing about this passage of scripture that he's been reading. And he starts to talk to it. He says, actually, I don't understand what's going on in this passage. Right? I don't understand who, who this prophet's talking about. And as he shares that with Philip, then that opens the door for Philip to do the next thing, which we see from Philip's example is that, is that what we do next is we connect them to God's word and point them to Jesus. Acts 8.25 says, Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now for Philip, it was very easy for him to connect this man to God's word because the man was actually reading it at the moment, right? But as we listen to people, as we ask questions, as we listen to where they're coming from and hear what they're thinking about, as we begin to hear people's anxieties and their hopes and their struggles and their questions and maybe their experiences that they've had in the past, our job is not to try to give them our words. It is to give them God's word. It is to find a way to connect what's going on in that person's life to the word that has power to transform a person's life, which is God's word. And ultimately through God's word to point them to Jesus. That that is what God's word is ultimately all about. It is pointing us to Jesus. And that's what Philip does. He, he starts with this passage in Isaiah that's talking about Jesus. And he uses it to say, this is what this passage is all about. It's about this one Jesus. And so again, Philip says, he began with that passage and he told them the good news about Jesus. And then the last thing we see here is then the rest is in God's hands. The rest is in God's hands. In the case of the Ethiopian eunuch, once he hears the good news about Jesus, he actually says, I want to be baptized. So, so Philip must have at least told him about baptism so that he has this understanding that this is some, something that comes after you, you believe it, right? But it's clear that the Holy Spirit has been working through the word of God to bring this man to faith in Jesus. And the evidence of that is that he says, I want to be baptized. Now that does not necessarily happen every time you share the good news of Jesus with someone, right? It's not every time that someone's going to say, can I be baptized? I want to receive this, right? But that's okay because our job is to simply share the good news and depending on the situation, maybe we might want to ask the person a question then to say, so what do you think about that? Do you believe that? You, what, what, struggle, what are you struggling with, with that, this message about what Jesus has done? Or, or maybe you actually get to a place of saying, would you like to receive that for yourself? Would you like to actually be reconciled to God? Would you want to receive this good news for yourself? But here's the thing, only God can give someone the faith to believe. Only God can move someone from death to life. And so once we share the good news, it's not our job to try to force that person to accept it. No, the rest is in God's hands. It's in God's hands. You know, our previous pastor, Pastor Larry, who was here last Sunday and preached, preached for you all, 
he loves to share a definition of evangelism that comes from the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. And it says this, and if, if you know Pastor Larry, you, you've probably heard this before, where, he, where it says this. It says, evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and with others to bring one person one step closer to faith in Jesus Christ. That we cooperate with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit's work that's going to do that, right? And we cooperate with, with, with others, with, with each other. It's not just all up to me to, 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 to do this, right? We do it together as a body. We, we can encourage one another, pray for one another. And the goal is to bring one person one step closer to faith in Jesus. Just one step. Maybe to overcome one barrier that's there. But again, it's not, it's not up to us, right? It's up to God. It's his work. It's ultimately in God's hands. You know, earlier this week, I was meeting with someone and, uh, and I asked them just kind of what's, what's been going on in their life and what they've been thinking about recently. And they, this person is sort of, you know, not, not trusting in Christ. They've, they've heard about Jesus, but they wouldn't probably identify as a believer. And, and this person actually said that, that they've been actually thinking about maybe wanting to get to know God or, or this whole message of, of God's word and, and Christianity and exploring that a little bit more. And, and so I asked them if, if they'd ever tried talking to God in prayer, if they'd ever actually tried to just speak to God. And, and there was sort of a hesitant response. And so, so I asked if, if I could share a little bit about prayer. And I ended up kind of summarizing the message I'd given on prayer a couple weeks before <laughs> from my sermon, talking about kind of what it means to, to talk to God and, and what are the different components of that. And, and as I began to share about that, I, I also shared some of God's word, right? So shared a couple of, of Bible verses. And, and, and the heart of the, what I was sharing with that person is just to say that God loves them. God wants to know them. And, 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 we, and at, at the end, we, we, we prayed together and there was no request to be baptized, <laughs> but it was one more step, I think, of that person beginning to see this good news that was for them, that Jesus loved them. Little by little, step by step, it's in God's hands. So the final question I want to just look at briefly before we close is, so what motivates this? What motivates evangelism? Because we could, you know, we could have all the great ideas of, of how to do this, but, 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 if, but what's actually going to empower us to do it, to motivate us to do it, to share this good news with people around us? And the answer in our text today is Christ's love. It is Christ's love that motivates us. As Paul says at the beginning of verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. I think there are, Two ways that Christ's love compels us or motivates us to evangelism. The first is that when you and I recognize and understand Christ's love for us, Christ's love for you, Christ's love for me, because of Christ's love for me, I no longer live for myself, but I live for him. That's what Paul says in verse 15. He says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are among those all for whom Christ died. And because Christ loved me and he loved you enough to die for you and for me, my life is completely indebted to him. 
How can I live only for myself when Christ gave me his very life? Of course I'm going to live for him after the love that he has shown to me. And one of the ways that I'm going to live for him is is to be his representative, to be his ambassador to the world. And, And if he is passionate about reconciling other people back to himself and he wants me to be a part of that mission, how can I say no to that after what he has done for me? So part of the motivation for evangelism is gratitude for the love that Christ has shown to me, that I want to worship him. I want to obey him. I want to be a part of his work in the world, his mission. And one way to do that is to share that good news with others. But the second way that Christ's love provides a motivation for evangelism is also when we begin to understand Christ's love for the world. That Christ doesn't just love me, but he loves world. When we realize that God loves each and every person in this world in the same way that he loves you and me, it starts to change the way that we see other people. Think about that. Every person that you meet in your day-to-day life is someone who God knows and God loves. The The clerk at the grocery store who's really being really slow while they're scanning your groceries. God loves them. The, the, the server who maybe is in a kind of a grumpy mood and isn't really very attentive to your service right now, or the server who's doing a great job. God loves them. God knows them. The next door neighbor to you down the street or, or the person who you live in, in the apartment building where you are, or the person that you work with, Each and every one of them matters to God. Jesus died for each and every one of them. And so God wants each and every one of them to be reconciled to him. That they would know him. That they would know the love that he has for them. And so when we start to see people as God sees them, when we understand how much he loves them and how far he went to save them, How can we not be his representatives to them? How can we actually focus more on, this person's annoying me, and so I'm going to sort of get back. No, I want them to know the love of Christ. So I want to represent Christ well by loving them, just as Christ loves them, just as Christ loves me. And how can we not, if we're given the opportunity, tell them about what God has done for them too, when that door may be opened? When we understand how much Christ loves us and how much he loves them, it will compel us to tell them about his love for them. So as we close, I want to leave you with two questions. And the first question is, have you been reconciled to God? Maybe as I've been talking about this message and how we're called to share it with other people, you've been thinking to yourself, well, I don't even know if I believe this message. You know, how am I supposed to share it if, if I'm not even sure I really believe it or, or understand it? And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here today. Because whether you know it or not, God wants you to know how much he loves you. And he's brought you here today to hear that. And he wants you to be reconciled to him. And he wants you to experience the joy and life that comes from having a restored relationship with him. And so if you're not sure 
If you've been reconciled to God, I want to invite you even today to receive that gift, that gift that he is giving you to, to say, you're mine. I died for you. I love you. Come and be mine. And if you're not ready for that, then just keep coming. Keep coming and hearing about this message. And, and maybe you have questions and, and maybe you're, you're, you're wrestling with some things that are feeling like, I, I don't know if I can really believe this. And, and if that's you, I'd love to talk with you about that. There's a body here who would love to talk with you about those questions and, and to walk alongside of you as you're exploring that. And for those of us who have been reconciled to God, who are trusting in what Christ has done for us, a question for us to ponder is, who is God calling you to share the good news of Jesus with? Who is it that he's placed in your life that he's wanting you to be his representative, to share that good news with? Who in your life, who in our community has yet to be reconciled to God? Have they heard the message? Have they ever heard it? Have they heard it from you? How are you living your life as an ambassador for Christ when you're around them? Pray for that person. Pray for those people. Pray that God would empower you to represent Christ well to them in your life. Pray that he would give you an opportunity to share this good news with them if, if you haven't already. And look for ways to listen to them. Look for ways to ask questions. And then to really listen to their answers. And then when the opportunity comes to connect them to God's powerful word and point them to Jesus. And then trust that God will take care of the rest, that it's in his hands, in his way, in his time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this good good news that you, the God of the universe, want us to know you and to experience the love that you have for us. And that we who have so often turned away from you and chosen to live our lives the way that we want to, God, that you still love us. You still want us. And Lord, that, that, that for many of us, you used someone to be an ambassador for you in our life that spoke that message to us that you used to bring us to faith, to trust you, to, to, to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be reconciled to you. Thank you, God, that you did that for so many of us who are here today, Lord, that you did that in our lives. And we pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see the people around us who, who need to know how much you love them, who need to know that they can be reconciled to you as well. So I pray that even today, that if there's anyone here in this room or, or who, someone who's listening to this message online, that even today, Lord, if you just maybe bring that, that sense of faith in their heart to say, yes, I, I want that, I want that. That they would receive it even today, Lord. And that you would send us out into this world as representative of yours to bring that love, that, this message, this good news of reconciliation to others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.